Section 5 of The Beast Jewel of Mars by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edith Keswick of Southern Ohio. The Beast Jewel of Mars by Lee Brackett. Five. Once again, Winters watched the gathering of the beasts of Shanga. Hidden in the thicket, beyond the reach of the rays, he saw the hairy bodies rush and jostle toward the central clearing. He saw the shining of their drugged eyes. He heard them moan and whimper, and all over the garden the mouthing whisper went, Shanga, Shanga. Jill writhed and thrashed in the agony of her desire, her cries muffled by the wad of silk he had thrust into her mouth. Winters could not bear to look at her. He knew how she was suffering. He was suffering, too. He saw that Cor Hall was leaning forward over the edge of the wall, searching the garden. He knew what the Martian was looking for. The last notes of the gong rang out. A silence fell on the clearing. Hairy anthropoid, shambling brutes that ran on all fours, nameless creatures beyond the ape, crawling things with wet and shining scales, all silent, all waiting. The prisms began to glow. The beautiful, wicked fire of Shanga filled the air. Burke Winter set his hand between his teeth and bit until the blood ran. It seemed to him that he could hear a faint, thin screaming rising out of the flowering shrubs by the lake. Low, tough-stemmed shrubs that lay under the full rays of the prisms. Shanga! Shanga! He had to go, into the clearing, into the fiery light. He could not stand it. He must feel again the burning touch on his flesh. The madness and the joy. He could not stay away. In desperation, he flung himself down beside Jill and clung to her, shuddering in torment. He heard Cor Hall's voice calling his name. He steadied himself and rose, stepping out into the full sight of the royal box. The Martians, ranged on either side, watched him with interest turning their attention momentarily from the orgy of the beasts of Shanga. Winter said, I'm here, Kor Hall. The man of Barrakesh looked at him and laughed. Why fight it, Winters? You can't keep away from Shanga. Winters asked, Where is your high priestess? Has she wearied of the sport? Kor Hall shrugged. Who knows the mind of the Lady Fond? She comes and goes as she will. He leaned forward. Go on, Winters. The fire of Shanga is waiting. Look how he sweats there, trying to be a man. Go on, apeling. Join your brothers. The shrill, jeering laughter of the Martians fell upon Winters with the sharpness of spears. He stood there, naked in the sunlight, his head held stubbornly erect, and he did not move. He could not control the trembling of his limbs or the harshness of his breathing. 
The sweat ran in his eyes and blinded him, and the fire of Shanga danced on the writhing bodies, and he thought he would go mad with torment. But still he stood there and would not move. He thought he was going to die, but he would not move. And the Martians watched. Poor Hall said, Tomorrow, then, perhaps the next day. But you'll go, Earthman. Winters knew that he would. He could not go through this again. If he were still alive in the Garden of Shanga the next time the gong sounded, he would go with his brothers. The fire of Shanga died at last from the prisms, and the creatures of its making lay still on the ground. The Martians sighed. The first stir of departure ran through them. Burke Winters cried out, Wait! His voice rang back from the empty upper tiers, and it brought every eye upon him. There was desperation in it, and triumph, and the anger of a man driven beyond the bounds of reason. Wait, you men of Mars. You came to see a show. Very well, I'll give you one. You, Cor Hall, you told me something down there in Valkis. You told me of the men of Cardu who first made Shanga, and how in one generation they were destroyed by it. One generation. He stepped forward, finding the release for his tortured nerves in this denunciation. We of Earth are a young race. We're still close to our beginnings, and for that you hate and mock us, calling us apes. Very well. But that youth gives us strength. We go very slowly down the road of Shanga. But you of Mars are old. You have followed the circle of time a long way around, and the end is always close to the beginning. In one generation, the men of Cardu were gone. Our fibers are iron, but theirs were only straw. That's why no Martian will practice Shanga, why it was forbidden by the city-states. You don't dare to practice it, because it hurls you headlong down the road, toward your end or your beginning, who knows? But you haven't the strength to take it, and you're afraid. A jeering, angry howl rose from the crowd. Cor Hall shouted, Listen to the ape. Listen to the beast we drove through the streets of Valkis. Yes, listen to him, Winters cried because the Lady Fond is gone, and only the ape knows where she is. That silenced them, and in the quiet, Winters laughed. Perhaps you don't believe me. Shall I tell you how I did it? He told them, and when he was through telling, he listened, while they called him a liar, and he jeered in Cor Hall's face. Wait, he shouted. Wait, and I'll bring her to you. Threading his way between the brutish bodies, leaping over them, avoiding the touch of the scaly things, he came to the clump of flowering shrubs by the lake and crawled in among them. He had not known. He had guessed from Corhall's statement that the metamorphosis was swift, but he had not known. There were some things that a man could not even guess at. In spite of himself, he cried out, 
He did not want to look at the thing that lay there, did not even want to know that such a form of life had existed or could exist. But he had to look at it. He had to go close to it so that he might undo the silken bonds that held it to the roots of the shrubs. He had to touch it. He had to lay his hands upon its softness, lift its flaccid weight, hold its slippery squirming against his own body. It had eyes. That was the worst of it. It had eyes, and it looked at him. He went away from the thicket, carrying his burden, back across the clearing, where two great males were already fighting over a she, out into the open space before the royal box where all could plainly see. He lifted the thing over his head, high into the sunlight. Here, he shouted. Don't you recognize her? Last of the royal house of Valkis, the Lady Fond. Around a portion of the wiggling anatomy that might once have been a neck, the collar of golden plaques swung, shining. For a moment he held her so, while the faces of the Martians stared like the masks of dead men, and Cor Hall rose and gripped the edges of the stone. Then he laid his burden down and stepped back from it where it moved horribly across the turf. Look there, you Martians, he said. That is your own beginning. In the utter, stricken silence, the old woman rose. She stood for a moment, looking down, and it seemed that she was about to speak or cry out, but no sound came. Then she fell, out over the wall and down the sheer drop into the arena. She did not move again. As though she had led them, the Martians rose with one low, terrible cry and followed her. Not to death, as they dropped over the wall, but to vengeance. Winters ran. He had Jill free in a minute, dragging her away into denser cover. The mouth of the tunnel was not far distant. The Martians swarmed in upon the clearing, and then the beasts of Shanga saw them. With roars and screams, they surged out to meet their attackers. Knife and short sword and spiked brass knuckles against fang and claw and the powerful muscles of the brute. The scaly creatures darted here and there, hissing, slashing with their rows of needle-sharp reptilian teeth. Great hands ripped and tore, snapping bones like matchsticks, cracking skulls and the dim blades flickered in the sunlight, bright tongues speaking death. Vengeance was done that day in the Garden of Shanga. The vengeance of Earth on Mars, and the vengeance of men upon the shame of their heritage. Winter saw Cor Hall run his sword through the creeping horror that had been fond, through and through again until all motion stopped. Then he shouted Winter's name. Winter's went to him. Neither spoke. There was nothing more to say. Barehanded, Winter's went against the Martian's sword. With the nightmare carnage of the battle going on around them, they too were alone. They too had a special score to settle. 
Winters took one long gash above the heart before he caught Corhall's arm and broke it. The Martian never whimpered. With his left hand, he reached for the knife at his girdle, but it never left the sheath. Winters laid Corhall backward across his knee and placed one thigh across his loins and an elbow across his throat. After a moment, he dropped the broken body and went away, taking the sword. The guards came running into the arena through the tunnel. The fight was spreading outward from the lake. Locked in struggling, swaying knots, the beasts of Shanga slew the Martians and were slain. The waters of the lake were stained red, and the corpse of a Martian was being dragged stealthily into it from the mud of the bank. There was something hidden below the surface, something that could no longer fight on land, but only lay quietly in wait and fed. Now the guards had come with their long spears, and Winters knew that in the end there would not be one creature left alive in the garden. And it was well. He took Jill's hand and led her toward the tunnel, running into the shelter of the trees. The fight was occupying everyone's attention. The brute males were hard to kill, and they fought for the love of it. The tunnel was empty, the gate open, the guards inside the arena hard at work. Winters and the girl fled through it, taking cover outside the amphitheater just before another group of guards came down from the palace. From there, with infinite haste and caution, they made their way down the cliffs through the dead ruins of Valkis, and then out across the desert, skirting the living town by the canal. Core Hall's flyer was on the field where Winters remembered it. He thrust Jill inside, and as he followed her, he saw the angry mob start to pour out of Valkis, where word of his crime and his escape had been brought a little too late. He took the flyer up, setting a course for Cahora, and now that it was all over, he felt a great weariness and an overwhelming desire to forget the very name of Shanga. But he knew that he could never forget. The golden fire had burned too deep. He knew that he would always be haunted by the beautiful face of Fond as it had looked when he had shackled her in the clearing and by the memory of the high, thin screaming as the light poured down from the prisms. Even the psychos could never make him forget. The governments of Earth and Mars would see to it now that Shanga was stamped out forever. He was glad, and a little proud, because it had been his doing. But even so... He looked over at Jill. Someday, he prayed... She would be herself again. The taint of Shanga would pass her, and she would once more be the Jill Leland he had given his heart to. But will it pass entirely? For a moment, it seemed that he heard the mocking voice of Fond speaking in his soul. Will it pass from you, Burke Winters? Can one who has run with the beasts of Shanga ever be the same again? He did not know. Looking back, he saw the smoke rising from the unholy garden. And he did not know. End of Section 5 End of The Beast Jewel of Mars
by Lee Brackett. This has been a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.